Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. So what I'm going to talk to you about today, um, Sister Vernon, when she was here, and then Brother Meyer, when he was here, they talked about running a race, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that as well. And I've had this message, for the most part, put together for a while now. And the title of my message this morning is Surrounded by a Cloud of Witnesses or a Balcony of Your Enemies. Some of you that are older, you might remember in the 70s, there was a killer and a serial killer clown from Chicago. So John Wayne Gacy was an American serial killer known as the Killer Clown from Chicago who assaulted and murdered at least 33 young men and boys. Gacy owned a construction business and regularly performed at children's hospitals and charitable events. He went around as, I don't know, it's kind of weird, why do you have two names? But he had two names. He went around as Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown. And one of his victims got away. So they brought him in on suspicion of murder and these charges, and he denied it. And I guess he thought because he was a clown, it did, it, he, wouldn't get, he wouldn't get caught. And he actually even said, a clown can get away with anything, even murder. So it was like a joke to him that he thought that he could get away with it. But typically, he would lure his victims to his house to demonstrate a magic trick. And he'd put on handcuffs And then he'd get out of the handcuffs. So then he would go to his victim. No idea, right? We think, man, didn't they know? Wasn't there some signs that this guy was a weirdo? But then he'd give them the handcuffs, and they'd put it on. And they couldn't get out of the handcuffs. And then he would probably thought it was pretty slick, right? Seeing he's a a killer. He'd say, you need the key. And then he'd torture them. And then he'd eventually kill him, right? Just like the killer clown in Chicago, the devil lies to us. He tricks us. He tempts us with sin. And before we know it, sin has us handcuffed, right? But through Jesus, we have the key. And if you guys are wondering, yeah, I know my dad's the prop guy. Yeah, you guessed it. These are his handcuffs. John 8:44. We quote this scripture all the time. But the ending, right? We know the ending. This is Jesus talking about the devil. We we know the ending, we say it all the time. Jesus said the devil is the father of lies. Right? But let's go back to the beginning. We need more emphasis on the beginning of this scripture. Why is he the father of lies? Now, I've been making it a point to read my Bible through for the year. And last year, reading my Bible, I read this scripture, and it finally dawned on me. Like it, I've read it before, and I never realized it, right? But this is Jesus saying, he said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. So why is he a father, the father of lies? Well, first, he's a murderer. And I never realized that. It just never dawned on me. But when I think about that, it's like, Man, he's lying to us because he wants to kill us, 
He's the father of lies because he has ulterior motive, and that is to destroy us, to kill us. He wants to spiritually murder each and every one of us. So why would you ever want to serve him, right? But sin is fun for a while. But is it worth eternal death? Sin not only handcuffs us, but what's going to happen in hell? Eventually, we're going to be tortured. I don't want to be tortured for eternity. I don't know about you, but I don't. It doesn't sound fun. So, if you want to read about Samson, it's Judges 13 through 16, the chapters. We find at first that he was a Nazarite from birth, dedicated to God from the womb, drink no wine, and never shave his hair. Judges 14 is about Samson's the Philistine wife that he wanted. He told his father, he's seen a woman, he said, I want her as my wife. And his parents are like, why don't you take somebody from your own people? But what they didn't know is that God was trying to have an occasion to move against the Philistines. And it was of God that he took this wife. And we see he ends up killing 30 Philistines. In Judges 15, he burns the Philistines' crops, the vineyards, and the oil groves. Samson attacks them, and the Bible calls it, a, calls it a great slaughter. Who knows how many people he killed. Then there's an attack where he kills a thousand men. And then at the end of that chapter, it says he was a judge for Israel for 20 years. Judges 16, this is where it really gets interesting. Samson meets Delilah, right? We know he falls in love with Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines, they want her to find out and lure him to give them the secret of where his strength comes from. And we know and we see and we read where he lied over and over again and he was bound and he got out. But eventually, he caved and he told her everything. He said, no razor has ever been used on my head. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. I'd become weak like other men. So she put him to sleep called whoever in, they shaved his head, and his strength left him. The Philistines, I like to call them the, fi the filthy Philistines. That's just because, you know, we always joke around and tease people and stuff. So, But to me, they're always the, going to be the filthy Philistines. But they seized him, gouged out his eyes, and they bound him with shackles, and they sent him to grind mill, to grind uh, grain in prison. So... Sin will cause us to lose our spiritual sight, and eventually, if we're not careful, it's going to gouge out our eyes. Sin will take our spiritual strength and bind us in shackles. Judges 16.22 says, his hair began to grow. That's, that's encouraging to me. When I read that, it's very interesting was this God's way of saying, I'm here with you? I don't know how long his hair was when it started to grow. But as it grew, it makes me wonder, did the presence of God become stronger? Did the urging of God's spirit come on him stronger as it grew? As he's sitting there, as we're sitting there wallowing in our failures, God's reaching out. This is how I see it. God's reaching out to Samson. And he's probably thinking he's the biggest failure in the world, right? There's times we go to bed, we think we're the biggest failure in the world because we're struggling with whatever we're struggling with, right? 
But we don't need to be perfect. We need to just keep trying, right? So he's, he's struggling and wallowing in his failure. I can only imagine, right? Here you are, the biggest man in the universe reverse, uh, reduced to a woman's job, grinding, grinding grain. But I can imagine that as He's struggling. God is reaching out to him and his hair's starting to grow. And I wonder, was he sitting there pondering, man, my hair's starting to grow. You know, uh, is God, will God forgive me? Will God forgive me? And the whole time, God's there saying, come on, Samson, just, I'll use you again. Just repent. Just repent. I'll use you again. And it's, it's encouraging. Judges 16, 23 through 30. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. Verse 25. So it happened when their hearts were merry, they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. Now what performance he did, I'm not exactly sure. It doesn't tell us. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching Samson perform. And this is where I get to the part of a balcony of your enemies. Do you want to be under a balcony of your enemies? We think the world is fun, right? They're inviting us to the party. We're not a guest. We're not a guest. We're there for entertainment. We're a joke. We're the butt of the joke to them, to the devil and his fallen angels. When we mess up, we're not partaking of the party. You, you might be, but you're not there as a guest. You're there to entertain them. And we have to remember that, that I don't, I don't want to be... That's like at work, right? You're not happy with your boss? Get a new job, right? That's kind of like with our spiritual life. We might be sinning and we don't think or realize that we're, we're serving the devil, but we are. And we're, we're not there for the party. We're there to be a joke. And they're up on a balcony and they're enjoying and mocking Samson. And I just, I try to remember that. I don't want to be... I don't want to be a, in, a, in a situation where I'm just surrounded by a balcony of my enemies. I want to be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Did I read verse 30? So, yeah, no? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more 
than he had killed in his life. So do you want to be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses or a balcony of your enemies? In Samson, we see an impersonation of ourselves. Like him, we are spiritually strong when we keep God first. Like him, we are spiritually weak when we give in to the desires of our flesh and the desires of this world. A lot of times we look at people and we think, no matter the situation, you see something and you're like, you don't, we don't understand because we don't have the same perspective as somebody and we think, man, how dumb. How dumb are they? But I ask myself, how dumb am I at times? Sin has a way of making us stupid and doing things that we, we normally wouldn't do, but we get enticed. How many times are we going to lay our head in the lap of Delilah? When are we going to stop being seduced by the devil? Nothing gives the devil and his fallen angels so much pleasure as the sight of God's warriors caught in their sins and robbed of our power. You ever have anybody ask you to pray for them and you're like, man, I really didn't have that great of a spiritual day today, you know? And you're like, and then you walk away, you're like, yeah, I'll pray for you though, right? And then, well, at least me. And then I walk away and I think, man, if I wouldn't have had that attitude or this attitude, would there have been more of a, an anointing, more of a power in my prayer? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an or for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So what's it take to be a champion? I enjoy sports. I enjoy competition. I hate losing. But what's it take to be a champion? It takes passion, dedication. It takes dedication to succeed no matter the cost. Perseverance, continually reaching goals and setting new goals, belief in oneself, desire to obtain the trophy or prize. I recently just did a five-year apprenticeship, right? All my studying for my, for my job. If I can do that, I can do studying for my spiritual life. You know, we go through whatever you do for work. You might have to take classes or a continuing education to, you know, or whatever your business is. You're going you're gonna to get in a peer group and you're going to study and you're going to focus. And that's, that's what it takes to make it to heaven is a dedication that I'm a champion and we need to have that desire. Some, you know, um, Nathaniel's very shy and timid and that's okay, but there's moments where you have to have that fierce competitive nature come out of you. 
Paul draws direct comparison between the Christian life and an athletic competition. Paul's alluding to the Ishmian games very similar to the Olympics. Like an athlete preparing for a race or a boxing match, Paul knew that we had to discipline our body. Galatians 5.7 You were running a good race. Who cut in on you from obeying the truth? The Galatians were given the gospel message and they believed it. But at some point, somebody came in and they started telling them, nah, I don't know about the gospel message. And so they fell into legalism and they started putting the law above the gospel message. But I ask you today, I ask myself, what cut in on you in your race What's hindering you in your race today? What are the things that God wants to remove from us so that we can run this race better? This is a little little weird. Nobody's ever talked about this. I looked in commentaries and I tried to, because I love Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, has some of my favorite scriptures. And so, looking in commentaries, reading books about Hebrews, and it's like nobody talks about this. (laughs) You'll probably know why after I read it. But it's like, really? So, there are indisputable records going back to philosopher Plato, as well as many drawings that confirm it was common practice for male track and field athletes to run nude. There's debate as to who the first nude runner was, but during a race, their loincloth started slipping and it was entangling their feet and at some point, they ripped it off, tossed it off to the side and they continued the race. So, He realized and others realized right away that a naked man could run faster. You're not impeded by a loincloth. It's crazy. So so like I said, I can see why nobody wants to put it in a commentary, right? Or anything like that. But I'm not telling you to go run naked. We're going to get somewhere here. Now there was another ancient Greek event called Hippodromos or something. But that was a, a race where competitors wore full armor, all of their armor, and they would train with extra weights and they would run around with these weights in full armor. It was a race of sheer strength, of endurance. It is said that all these pieces of armor could weigh over 50 pounds. So, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the New King James Version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A little bit into 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amplified Version. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God, to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us, looking away from all that distracts us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So you can see why I talked about casting off your, your loincloth, right? Spiritually. The writer of Hebrews is telling us to strip off whatever is going to trip you up. Whatever weight, right? We, we sin, we mess up. This is the only competition, the only race where if I fall down here, I don't have to start back at that wall. Now, granted, yeah, do I have to do some repentance and make myself right with God and maybe others? Yeah, but I don't have to start back there. I could start right here and it doesn't matter who passes me along the way. I can get up and I still can obtain the prize. I can get up, I can repent and God still can use me. This verse is to encourage us. I want to make sure that when I'm running this race, I'm not being hindered. And yes, sometimes things come in our lives, whether it's our own doing or it's just life is life and we're going to have problems. But after those seasons are over, I need to cast that weight off. So now, just like those guys training with their full armor, right? Once they have these extra shields and the extra weight, once they cast that off and they're running with just their armor, they can run faster. And that's what this, the writer's telling us, that we need to get rid of that weight. It, it gave us some endurance. And now I can run better. I can run faster. When I read the first part of this uh, 12.1, it says, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That encourages me. And right away, I think back to the Old Testament, Exodus 13.21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. So why did God have to go before them in this way? It's because they were in the wilderness. They were trying to get to the promised land, but they had no, no idea of where to go. But that cloud was God's guidance. It was their way out. They followed his guidance out to get to the promised land. So when I look at uh, chapter 12 and 1 and it says a cloud of witnesses they're alluding to the faith chapter the heroes of faith in chapter 11 the previous chapter of all these people who went before all these other Christians at the time and they were saying look at these guys surround yourself don't be surrounded by a balcony of your enemies surround yourself with a great cloud of witnesses these heroes are cheering you on so that's telling me that in order for me to get out of this race and make it to heaven, I need to have this cloud of guidance cheering me on. Not only Jesus, but everyone else. And it can be a family member, it can be a co-worker, but whenever you're struggling and you can't sleep at night, get in the basement, go wherever you need to go. 
and encourage yourself. Because I can pray for you now, but what matters is, is when you're by yourself and you're struggling, we need to encourage ourselves and know that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We can talk about them and maybe pick on them a little bit, but we look at David or we look at Samson and you're like, you did all this stupid stuff, but you're considered a a guy of faith, right? It's encouraging. We're not picking on her because nobody's better, but what about Rahab? It says that she had faith. But what's encouraging and what we need to realize is that although she had faith, her faith was accepted. So it doesn't matter what our lifestyle is. If we have faith and belief in God and ask for repentance or need his help, it doesn't matter our lifestyle. God will forgive us. And that's what's encouraging. And we need to remember that. Uh, In closing, and we, we can stand. Like I said, I'm, I'm competitive. We'd go to Nate's games, Clayton's, more so Nate's basketball games because he's a little older, so it gets a little more intense, right? Parents care more than, than the kids. The kids have fun. It doesn't matter. Parents care. Out there, you know, hey, do this, do that, right? Went to a high school game. <laughs> and there was parents the whole time just yelling at their son to do this do that do this do that do this do that I'm like oh my goodness I'm like got a coach like let him let him just coach let him play my good old wife I came home I'm like can you believe these people what in the world she goes you know (laughs) she just kind of sounds like somebody I know And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not that bad. I am not that bad. I am not that bad. And I'm going to tell you I'm not that bad. And I really ain't. But I I was like, wow, okay, new perspective. Go to the games. I don't know what your coach is telling you, Nate, but I'm going to encourage you. Clayton, I am your coach, so I know what your coach is telling you. But we're there to encourage them. My boys get excited when they see other family members in the crowd, (laughs) They look back, they make a shot, they make a block, and they look at you like, did you see that? Did you see that? And I'm, I'm there encouraging him. And that's what we need to remember, that all of us in this room, we're here encouraging you. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible, there's plenty of stories. They're encouraging you on this race, this spiritual journey. And we need to remember that. So I ask you today, do you want to be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses? or a balcony of your enemies. Mark 8, 34 through 38 says, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me 
and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man, also will be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his father with the holy angels. God, I ask you today, Lord Jesus, that you would encourage us in times of need, Lord God, that no matter what we're going through, God, that we know that we can look to you Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.